You're listening to Token Talks, brought to you by Wing Venture Capital. I'm your host, Zach DeWitt. For crypto to become a mainstream asset class, and in previous generations, you've seen new asset classes move into the mainstream. Gold with the silent generation, go-go stocks and growth stocks with baby boomers, uh, hedge funds with Gen X, which peaked at something like 10,000 hedge funds in the late 90s. With crypto, we see a new asset class that has a generational preference, and our role is uh, to be a collaborator and to help these mainstream investors understand it uh, and benefit from it. Today, we are joined by Hunter Horsley, CEO and co-founder of Bitwise. Founded in 2017, Bitwise pioneered the first cryptocurrency index fund. Based in San Francisco, the Bitwise team combines modern software expertise with deep asset management experience, coming from firms including Facebook, Wealthfront, and BlackRock. With Bitwise, accredited investors can invest in managed funds for Bitcoin, Ethereum, and for the top 10 largest crypto assets. Bitwise is paving the way for more institutional capital to invest in crypto assets. In January 2018, Bitwise filed its application for a Bitcoin ETF, which would be a very positive catalyst for the industry. I think you will greatly enjoy today's episode, as Hunter is a great entrepreneur and builder. Welcome. Please introduce yourself. Hi, uh, I'm Hunter Horsley. I'm I'm the CEO at uh, Bitwise Asset Management. Hunter, what were you doing prior to founding Bitwise? Before Bitwise, I was a product manager at Facebook and before that at Instagram. At Instagram, I worked on on advertising products. It was sort of right place, right time, getting to see that platform grow and and help with it. And then at Facebook, I did a a number of different things, working on helping monetize video, the branded content ecosystem, and a few other things as well. And how did you make the switch from Instagram and Facebook into crypto? The short version of the story is that a friend of of mine and my co-founder Hong, I went to school, Orton, was at a a statistical arbitrage hedge fund. And he pinged us and said, um, hey, do you remember that crypto thing? They're 20% spreads. And um, Hong and I are not OG crypto people. We admire people who've been in the space for a long time, but uh, we had maybe you know, we bought some Bitcoin in the past, but didn't pay close attention. And uh, in 2017, when, when this friend uh, said this to us, we're like, no way, that's, that's absurd. You buy something for 10, you know, sell it for 12 in, in the same instant. And so out of curiosity we, and disbelief, we looked at it and, uh, and it turns out you could. So we started arbitrage trading and then automating the arbitrage trading. And that's not what we're doing today. But I think for everyone, people need a reason to dig in. And that was our reason. It, it helped us explore the space, meet people developing projects, deal with some of the challenges of managing a portfolio in the space, and pause and think about the meaning of it all. Is it a flash in the pan or does it have a purpose to serve uh, over a long period of time? And, and obviously where we landed on that was um, uh, that we think it's an incredibly important thing. And what is Bitwise? Uh, Bitwise is the leading provider of index funds in the crypto space. We launched the first cryptocurrency index fund in, in 2017. We have both index products as well as beta products. Um, so the Bitwise 10 large cap index covers about 80, 85% of the market. It's like an S&P 500 exposure for someone who wants access to whatever ends up being the most valuable, whether that's one thing or five things, whether it's things we know today or, or, or other things. And uh, yeah, the firm is um, about 15 people today. We're based in San Francisco, about half with backgrounds in software, half with backgrounds in investment management, a number of veterans of the ETF space. And we spend a lot of time uh, working with professional mainstream investors, financial advisors, institutions uh, to help them understand and uh, participate in, benefit from the space. 
So what's it been like running Bitwise for the last year and a half? We've seen crazy highs, crazy yeah. lows. Yeah. It must have been an amazing experience. Yeah, it has been absolutely extraordinary. And um, every week feels like a year. You have sort of the tornado that is crypto. You also, in the backdrop for our clients, you have the tumult in the public markets more broadly, equities, fixed income, interest rates. And, and, then, and then, of course, we, in 2018, we, we built a firm. Uh, we started the year as two people. We ended the year as 15. So all of those things sort of moving at the same time uh, has been quite extraordinary. I think from the market perspective, 2018 was crazy in that you know, Bitcoin ended the year down around 75%. Our Bitwise 10 large cap index around 78%. The small cap index, the Bitwise 70 small cap index down something like 93%. So everyone knows 2018 was a tough year for price. I think for many of us who are in the space on a day-to-day basis, one of the crazy things about it is it was one of the most jam-packed years in terms of progress and good news. We went from having one regulated custodian, two regulated custodians to about half a dozen now, and, and there are more on the way. You had firms like uh, Square and, and Robinhood come into the space. You had, you had people like Fidelity and Backed and announced products and now NASDAQ. Uh, you had the futures markets launch futures and CME's volumes have on a notional basis, even though prices declined, risen month over month throughout the entire year. Facebook, Samsung, uh, HTC, uh, exploring and, and staffing up teams to launch products. Bitwise filing for uh, a cryptocurrency index fund ETF. There's a lot of a lot of great things happening in 2018 concurrent to the market drawing down, which is sort of the funny thing about the experience of being in the space last year. So how, how have some of these uh, index funds performed? It looks like your Bitwise 10 has actually outperformed Bitcoin over the past year. It's definitely up over Bitcoin since the beginning of 2017. What the index you know seeks to do is address some of the non-obvious operational challenges of investing in crypto. So we look at, is the wallet software developed enough that you can write a transaction offline, which is a predicate to being able to do cold storage? Is it trading on more than one exchange? If you're just on one exchange, then you have the risk of something going wrong at that exchange or them throwing up gates. Uh, Does it have sufficient trade volume? So we, we try and take care of all of these uncompensated, difficult to perceive uh, nuances. And then uh, we produce a, a top 10 exposure that rebalances monthly that doesn't have a strong opinion about how the future will play out, but allows you to participate in whatever that ends up being. So in 2018, it tracks the market and, and was down something around Bitcoin. I think it might have been down a percentage point or two uh, more than Bitcoin in, in 2018. I get this question a lot, and I'm sure you do too. Is crypto an asset class? And how do you think about that? We definitely think of crypto as an asset class. It's of, of, a, of a meaningful size, has meaningful liquidity, has a lot of the market structure and, and ecosystem, OTC desks, futures, custodians, asset managers, hedge funds, venture, you know, a, a lot of those things. I think on this topic, the question that we interact with the most with advisors and institutions is how should we think about this? Basically, you know, is it, is it a commodity? Is it, is it an equity? Is it venture? Is it an alternative? Is it, you know, is it something completely new? And, and um, the, way I, the way I think of crypto is that it is something completely new. And that's partially why it's so unfamiliar. I think of crypto as being a little bit like early stage venture if it had intraday trading. If you think back to when Airbnb was banned in San Francisco for short-term rentals or in London or in New York, uh, you can imagine if their shares were trading that day that they would move quite a bit. Yeah. And certainly, you know, at, at the seed or series A stage, uh, you can imagine quite a bit of volatility. And so I think the way I think about public blockchains is they're still early in their development, the progress of, of adoption, uh, the understanding of, of the world around it, but you can trade it intraday like a public uh, stock 
which gives you the expectations of something that trades on uh, public markets, but then has all, you know, so much more volatility. And I think that combination makes it uh, unfamiliar, but is also the opportunity, the chance to participate in that risk return uh, profile in a liquid allocation is something that that's completely new. So I think that's part of what has a lot of uh, a lot of allocators excited. It doesn't use up their liquidity budget, and uh, it's public, so they can access it in a number of different ways. Um, and it has that risk reward. The other the other thing that that a lot of allocators are keenly interested in is the low correlations. Yeah, that, that's one of the things that's so interesting about crypto is there's yeah. so many different narratives. You know, yeah, one, one of the narratives being the uncorrelated asset class. And yeah. It'll be interesting to see as there's more volume in, in crypto, if that holds up, if that gets even stronger. Yeah. That's something definitely to watch. Yeah. So who, who are the customers so far of, of Bitwise? Our audience or our, our, our investors have been sort of a cross-section of who's interested in crypto. So in 2017, largely high net worth individuals and families. In 2018, more families, advisors putting their clients in, institutions. Uh, so today, it's probably majority individuals by number of investors. And it's about half uh, institutions buy assets. But the audience that's interested has really shifted. And um, we spend almost all of our time today with, um, with family offices, advisors, multifamily offices, endowments, foundations, and uh, RAs. And where can customers buy the Bitwise yeah. uh, different products? So uh, today we have the Bitwise 10, which is sort of an S&P 500. We have a Bitcoin fund and Ethereum fund. All of those can be accessed through bitwiseinvestments.com. Mm -hmm. We've built uh, an online flow for filling out the, the subdocs and paperwork that uh, also does KYC and AML and, and can be completed in, in something like, we've had a few people get through it in, in under five minutes. It's amazing. Um, yeah, yeah. We're pretty proud of it. That is the, the principal way today. So would you recommend people, uh, if they want exposure to Bitcoin, is it easier for the average investor to buy through Bitwise as opposed to going to Coinbase or another kind of fiat on-ramp? I think there are different considerations. Our products are managed solutions. So um, they come with support from the firm. If you work with an advisor or if you're an institution or an individual has a family office, we make it easy for you to have the other people involved aware of the portfolio. Uh, we, can in we, we integrate with reporting software. We're increasingly on more and more platforms that people use to manage their portfolios. Uh, you know, so Schwab, Schwab would be an example of a platform. Millennium Trust is an example of a platform. Um, so we integrate with their existing tools and workflow. And then, of course, we, we take care of, of claiming hard forks, airdrops. We, we evaluate all the custody options, which is an ever-expanding set. Uh, we then put it with a third-party custodian. We don't have, have limits on uh, how much an assets can come in or out at any given time. It's much more akin to the experience you would expect from calling up your advisor or your CIO or going into your, your brokerage and, and uh, investing in, in GLD or investing in SPY, which is the S&P 500 um, fund from State Street which is to say that it integrates with your existing solutions, it integrates with your existing reporting, uh, with all of the people on your team, and then it simplifies the management aspects, yeah. And do you charge AUM fees or performance fees? Yeah, or? much like an index product, no performance fee, no carry. It's transparent, the holdings are, are, are clear, the price is reported daily, there's liquidity on a weekly basis, you can come in and out weekly, and then it's an expense ratio. An expense ratio is slightly different than a management fee. An expense ratio includes a management fee, but also the price of custody, of administration, and all of the operating costs. So it's an all-in cost. We have two share classes for the products. The institutional class has a million dollar minimum, and then there's different fees for the different products. Uh, and then there's an investor class, which is a $25,000 minimum. 
And then how, how do you decide? So for example, in your Bitwise 10 index fund, how do you decide what goes in that? Yeah. You know, what, what are the close calls? Yeah. An index is basically a formalized, formally governed set of rules that determines a portfolio. We're not a sort of a, a manager trading on news or evaluating the metrics around an asset day to day or meeting with teams and determining the potential of the team, which are all legitimate strategies. Uh, an index product looks at certain published, formally declared uh, things, and then it automatically, programmatically uh, selects the assets. And so it, it rebalances or reconsiders or reconstitutes on a monthly basis. The S&P 500 does it annually. We do it more frequently because crypto changes pretty quickly, as you're aware. Uh, but that's that's governed by this index. And so what our index is, we have a family of indexes. The Bitwise 10 large cap, Bitwise 20 mid cap, Bitwise 70 small cap, and then you add all those up, we have the Bitwise 100 total market. They're seeking to weed out some of the assets that have these risks I've mentioned around custody or around trading or around liquidity that aren't obvious, uh, and then to identify and hold the large cap assets, so the Bitwise 10 that make up 85% of the market, the mid cap, the small cap, et cetera. So when a new when you're talking to a family office or sure. a new potential investor, yeah. do you make recommendations of which fund you should come into, a mix of all the funds? Usually it's pretty clear. The way I think about our, our relationship with, with clients is our job is to be helpful in building their understanding around the way in which crypto might be of benefit to their goals for their portfolios. And our job is not to convince everyone that they need to hold crypto. It's not to convince everyone that they need to allocate 20% uh, to crypto. There is real merit in the opportunity uh, with crypto. And, and for some people, uh, their portfolios and their goals can really benefit. So what we have in mind going into any conversation is what are the things that they're thinking about? What are their goals? And how can we be helpful in, in describing uh, with precision, but also not just flailing unremitted you know, levels of detail uh, the opportunity? And uh, some want to buy the market. They don't have a specific view. And for them, the Bitwise 10 is, is the answer. They say, we think that this might be mobile. This might be the internet. We're not sure. But we think that something valuable could come out of this. And we want to participate if that happens. We don't know if, it, if, you know, if privacy is the most important feature. We don't know if a piece of regulation is going to scuttle some ship that's made a ton of progress. We don't, know, we don't you know, really understand the different consensus protocols. Sure. And we don't care. We just want to make sure that we're we're holding assets that have a, a feasible or a legitimate chance, uh, and then that that portfolio is being securely managed and, and rebalanced as as the, the the mix of what people believe has the, the best shot changes. Mm -hmm. So that's sort of what the, the Bitwise Ten represents for investors. Some investors have specific views; they believe that Bitcoin uh, is the main opportunity today, and they want to hold Bitcoin. They want to use a solution like ours uh, that's managed and comes with the support and the the integrations. But they, they want Bitcoin specifically, they want Ethereum specifically. So we, we offer all of those different approaches. Yeah, it's really interesting. I mean, everyone talks about what is the next catalyst for crypto yeah. to, to kind of restart the market and who's the next buyer or set yeah. of buyers. And the institutional buyers are probably the next set. So Bitwise is really facilitating these buys and yeah. this asset allocation. So you're, it's, it's a really important part of the industry. The, the sort of landscape of asset owners is not totally well understood in, in the crypto space today. You know, so 2017, crypto became a new asset class. Everyone became interested. Uh, and there are amazing tools, Coinbase, Gemini, Kraken, Ledger, CoinMarketCap, OnChainFX. You know, they're, they're amazing tools, but they're oriented towards a self-directed individual investor. In the U.S., self-directed individual investors and traders, prosumer traders managing their own money, uh, represent about $3 trillion in assets. Individuals, uh, Americans who invest their savings with a professional partner, an advisor, represent around $20 trillion in assets. 
pensions, endowments, and foundations in the U.S. represent about $24 trillion in assets. So those audiences today don't have the best set of solutions. And uh, what they need is not sort of a frictionless mobile app. They need uh, integration with their platform. So it could be their brokerage, their custodian. And I, I don't mean a crypto custodian. I mean the, the, the Fidelity or Millennium Trust or Pershing. They then need support, research, portfolio analysis, conversations with investment committees to uh, drive consensus through their firm. Then they need a managed product, a fund, an ETF, and then they need reporting and, and, and ongoing research. And so that's, that's a solution that, that looks much more like an enterprise uh, solution than it does sort of a consumer product. And uh, that's where we're focused on helping uh, this audience, the advisors who manage most of American savings and steward those for people and, and, and the institutions who do the same for, for endowments, foundations and, and pensions uh, understand and, and then have the, these solutions that can help them participate. That is really exciting just to hear how big of a market opportunity you're going after yeah. outside of you go after kind of the self-directed uh, individual investors. Yeah. So the big news and a huge congratulations to you and the Bitwise team is submitting your application process uh, yeah. for the Bitcoin ETF. Thank you. So you have a Bitwise Bitcoin fund. What is the difference between the fund and ETF? Yep. What's that process been like and what would it mean for the industry if this gets approved? Very generally speaking, there are four fund structures. There's private funds. At private funds are, are the structure that a venture fund uses or a private equity fund or a hedge fund. And private funds are typically limited to an accredited investor or a qualified purchaser to a specific audience, and they, they're supported by different platforms. Then there are uh, mutual funds, uh, ETFs, and uh, collective investment trusts. The investment trusts are usually focused on very large institutions. ETFs and, and mutual funds are one of the main ways that most investors participate in different asset classes. So uh, I believe mutual funds in the US uh, manage something like 15 or 16 trillion in assets. ETFs, sort of as mobile is to desktop, ETFs are to mutual funds. ETFs uh, have been rapidly growing over the last decade and are now somewhere at three and a half or four trillion. And uh, what's different about mutual funds and, and ETFs is, is that they can serve any investor. They conform to regulation. Uh, they have public disclosure rules. And so it expands the audience you can serve. And, and then it also, it plugs in to existing infrastructure. So, so imagine putting Clorox on the shelves of every Walmart, every Target, every CVS. That's the, the sort of opportunity that those types of products represent. So why have the, you know, the, the Winklevoss applications, VanEck applications, yeah. why, why have they been rejected? And, what, and what's new or different about the Bitwise application? Yeah. So the, the, the big issues, in, and, and particularly in 2018, the SEC has been fantastic about sharing publicly what's on their mind. The, the big issues are custody, market manipulation, and pricing. We can't speak about the, the S1 specifically, but we interact with the regulator to talk through these issues and, and present data and information. Those are definitely the things, and they're all, they're all dimensions in which the crypto space is, is rapidly improving. And then, of course, we've been operating an index product in a private fund wrapper for over a year and a half now. And so we believe that you can do that effectively. I think a backdrop that's helpful from a distance interpreting the experience that the crypto space is having with an ETF is to be aware of other previous waves of innovation in ETFs. So most previous waves have taken quite a bit of time. So for example, uh, the first leveraged ETF uh, took something like six years uh, between first filing and, and approval. Actively managed uh, ETFs, I think was something like eight years. Um, fixed income took, I, I think, from the inception of the first equity ETF to fixed income was, was on the order of seven or eight years. Um, and then other innovations like uh, self-indexers, mm -hmm. Wisdom Tree and Index IQ, 
uh, or commodities uh, also took multiple years. Gold was one of the fastest. It took two or three years. But, you know, gold has the advantage. It had already launched in Australia. Um, uh, it's been around for thousands of years. I share that because I think, I think it's important to understand that the time that it's taking in crypto is not unusual for a novel ETF product. It's not that the ETF, sorry, that the SEC is in some way anti-crypto. This is the pro-investor. There can be no failure. And so they want to be very confident that, that uh, they've understood the space and that, that these are products that are safe to offer to the public. Uh, and so I think that's the right approach. And um, we're optimistic about the progress that's being made. So you talked a little bit about just how big of a market opportunity this is. You talked about some of the products you have today and, and, and hopefully the Bitcoin ETF product you're launching. Talk a little bit more about what got you so excited about Bitwise. What, what's the, yeah. the long-term big vision for what you guys are building? So there's two parts to answering that. One is, you know, what's exciting about crypto in general? And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to set that aside for a second. And then the second is what's exciting about the role that we can play in crypto. I'm incredibly excited about the opportunity that we have to contribute to our clients and, and to the crypto space for crypto to become a mainstream asset class. And in previous generations, you've seen new asset classes move into the mainstream. Gold with the silent generation, go-go stocks and, and growth stocks with baby boomers, uh, hedge funds with Gen X, which peaked at something like 10,000 hedge funds in, in the late 90s. With crypto, we see a new asset class that has a generational preference. And our role is uh, to be a collaborator and to help these mainstream investors understand it uh, and benefit from it with the, you know, understanding on our part that they can't become jet propulsion engineers just to invest in Boeing. And it's not fair to expect that every investor will become a software engineer uh, or that every investor will become passionate about understanding the nuances of, of, of crypto. Uh, ultimately, they need to steward people's savings or, you know, an endowment or a foundation into the future. And we're excited that we get to sort of sit in between and watch what's unfolding on the crypto side, which has a lot left to play out. And then to be helpful to these individuals and investors in interpreting it and understanding how they can participate and take advantage of it. I can't imagine a more fascinating or more exciting opportunity to, to be helpful to people. And that's certainly been, been our experience. There's a lot of ground that needs to be covered in, in learning. But a real blessing for people in 2018 is that most of these types of investors uh, now have the view that they should build a thesis, so they, they should get smarter on it. We probably spoke to 2,000 of them uh, in the second half of 2018. And, and the fact that people are willing to spend their time, everyone's busy, right? And this is going to be a 1% allocation or a 5% allocation or 50 basis point allocation. It's not, not you know, 99% of, of, their, of their portfolio is going to be somewhere else. But the fact that people are now asking questions is a real opportunity for the space and we try to uh, respect you know, that opportunity and, and be helpful in, in bringing this to them. I'm really fascinated with the biases around investment behavior. And yeah. then you contrast those from individual self-directed investors to more institutional professional sure. investors. And for example, with Bitcoin, let's say you have a price target of 100,000. Yeah. As Bitcoin's coming down, you yeah. should like it more and more and be buying more and more. Yeah. Um, you know, but I think also it's a very reflexive asset where a lot of people, when it comes down, it, you know, because it, it requires common trust, common interest, common belief that we're buying Bitcoin because everyone else is buying Bitcoin. Yeah, and everyone's, right. ever, ever, you know, there's, there's that kind of group effect there too. Yeah. What, what have you guys seen on the institutional side? Yep. Have you, as prices have come down, have you seen actually more interest in the space? Yep. Has, has interest, you know, kind of uh, mirrored the prices? I think for maybe one fifth or two fifths, it's made them more excited. There's a feeling that prices are more sober. Every professional investor knows intellectually that they should buy low, sell high. And some of them know experientially that they should have bought in 2009 mm -hmm. when we were starting to near bottom in, in public markets. 
And, uh, and so everyone knows that in the back of their mind. But there's, a, there's a, again, a lot of ground to be covered. They still have to build a lot of understanding. Then they have to persuade colleagues uh, or you know, have, to, have to interact with clients. For an increasing size of investors, a number of investors, there's an inevitability around crypto. I think what the move in prices has done is for, for some of them uh, has created a sense of, of real opportunity and a sped up urgency. I think for, you know, for the rest, there's a sense, okay, th- there's no urgency to deal with this right now. So we're going to deal with it and we've got a crypto guy or um, we're going to learn about it, but we don't need to come to our view this quarter. I'm not sure that that's the, the best thing for investors to be doing. I think if you know that, that you're going to need to have a view about it, you should come to that view now. And your view could be, we aren't going to do anything until we see an ETF, or we're not going to do anything until we see uh, daily trading volumes above 10 billion, or we're not going to do anything until we see you know, State Street custing it. That's a fine view to come to. Uh, but I think come to whatever whatever it's going to be. I think sort of sitting and, and watching, but not really making up your mind and sort of kicking that can down the road stands to cause you to miss the entry point that you would have wanted to have taken. But anyways, you know, in terms of the, the, the moving price, I think that that's those are the kind of the two reactions that we tend to see. And do you recommend to your new investors yeah. that they dollar cost average in or that they invest over a couple of weeks or months? Yeah, dollar cost averaging is always a very smart approach, but different people take different approaches on it. So tell us a little bit about the company. Um, you tell us about your fundraising, past, potential future plans. Tell us a little bit about the, some of the key hires you've been adding. On the fundraising side, Bitwise raised a seed round. Uh, our backers include uh, Coastal Ventures, General Catalyst, Blockchain Capital, uh, Morgan Creek, uh, Naval Ravikant, Alad Gill, David Sachs, Will Peets at Passport, uh, Avijal Garg, the former CFO of BlackRock, uh, Adam Nash, the former CEO of Wealthfront, a number of other fantastic individuals. If we're going to help bring crypto to uh, mainstream investors, I'm trying to pull together a group of all the best people who are interested either coming from uh, the crypto world or the fintech world or the asset management and ETF world. I'm really proud of the group that we get to collaborate with on that front. So that, that's on the on sort of the fundraising and backer side. On the team side, this has really been one of the great pleasures of, of 2018 uh, for Bitwise. Uh, we started the year as two people. Again, my, you know, my background on the software side, my co-founder did software security in the military. Uh, we ended the year at 15 and uh, just brought together a group that we love working with, we think has you know, the right expertise for what our clients uh, want. They also all like working with each other, which is great. What's the best way for our listeners to invest in Bitwise products? Is it, is it go directly to your website, bitwise.com? Yep. Yeah, www.bitwiseinvestments.com. If it's an institution, uh, you can schedule a call. We have a page for advisors. We have a page for institutions. Uh, shares contact information for our, our institutional business development head, our advisor business development head. For family, uh, we have a person leading that, that effort as well. So there are a number of ways to get in touch with us. So let's talk a little bit about the crypto space. Don't, don't fax us. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, no paperwork. No faxing. Yeah. So let's talk a little bit about the crypto ecosystem. What are, What are some important trends you're observing right now in, in crypto? There's sort of two things to look at down the road. There are binary things, so things that can sort of change in an instant, and then there are there are sort of gradual things. Uh, I think some of the binary things, and, and a lot of these things will be familiar to people. An exchange traded product is a binary thing uh, that opens up access to people who can't participate today. A sort of blue chip institution like Fidelity like State Street, offering custody for clients, that's a big deal. Other things on this front, um, I think when, when backed launches, that'll be a big deal. I think if we hear publicly about a central bank purchasing crypto, either in complement or in, in, in some amount substitute to their gold purchasing, that'll be a big deal. Sort of in the same way that, that the endowments becoming public in Q3 last year 
was a big moment. Um, there are a few pensions that have invested. If that were to become public, I think that would be a big deal. Facebook has staffed an, an exceptional group of people to explore crypto. HTC is launching a phone with a hardware wallet pre-installed that's branded around crypto. Samsung is, is reportedly exploring it. Depending on what these different uh, firms choose to launch, Facebook has 2.5 billion users. Things could change pretty quickly there. So those are some of the sort of, I think, the, the binary things to watch. And then there's gradual tailwinds, and they're sort of less fun, but uh, I think they're important. And I, I think there's three, three big ones on, you know, on my mind. One is um, millennial wealth accumulation. So millennials have a measured preference for crypto. And, and this is not a, a totally new thing. Different generations have had different preferences. Blockchain Capital commissioned a survey with Harris Poll, I think, a year ago. Uh, and something like 42% of millennial males said that they would prefer to own $1,000 of Bitcoin to $1,000 of uh, T-bills, which is extraordinary. Over the next 10 years or so, millennials, which are the largest generation in the U.S. today, there's about 90 million millennials, the oldest is 35 or 36, mm-hmm. are moving into their prime income earning years, meaning that they are generating the most excess savings that can be uh, directed towards investments. And so as this group that has this preference is wielding more capital, that is a, a gradual tailwind impacting crypto, I think. A second is trust in institutions. There's a steady drumbeat of incidents that I think causes people to question uh, institutions, whether it be you know the recent fines for some of the large banks, uh, whether it be companies being hacked. Equifax is a very public one, obviously. Facebook and, and Google had data breaches last year, which was a total bummer to see. Target, Home Depot, JP Morgan, AOL, Yahoo, all of these guys have been hacked. And I think every time that happens, it, it damages the trust people have there's a great longitudinal survey by Pew, uh, the National Research Institute, that uh, shows, uh, they, they ask a question, uh, do you expect that the government will do what's in your best interest? And basically over the last 60 years, that has come down from 70% yes to 20% yes. And it's a straight line. You know, it wasn't like one president, it went back up to 70 and then another president, you know, I think over time there's been a, a steady degrade in, in the trust around central institutions. So... I think that's a, a second tailwind. Obviously, the financial crisis that crypto was born out of contributes to that. And then I think the final is the work that we and, and others do, which is just uh, the conversation, the research memos, the portfolio analysis for these different firms. It needs to happen. It's not enough for an ETF to just launch. It's not enough for an, a coin to just become available on a platform, mm-hmm. particularly for the audiences I've described, advisors, uh, institutions. They do need access and management, but they also need a thesis. They also need to drive consensus. They also need to see what it would do in a portfolio. So I think that that's gradual and there's a lot of people doing great work around that. And so those are some of the gradual tailwinds. Do you look at the crypto world as, you know, money crypto and tech crypto, money crypto being some of the privacy coins and Bitcoin and, you know, used for store value and payments. Yeah. Um, and then kind of the tech crypto being these next generation smart contract platforms where you can yeah. enable all these applications to be built on top. Does, do you think about the world that way? And does that influence? I'm glad that people are working on developing this thinking. I, I think one of the greatest challenges for crypto is that we don't have agreed upon frameworks for understanding this stuff. Mm-hmm. Everyone's up close with the elephant and doesn't know what it is. It would be great if we had something like a discounted cash flow. That's well said. So I'm not sure that there's a right answer, and and I'm not sure that that I know it. I do think that it's always a a bit risky to cleanly cut the universe. And and an example of this that that comes to mind is we talk a lot about gold as a store of value and present that as a parallel. But there's $100 trillion in real estate. And people are absolutely using real estate as a store of value. They expect that if they put their money in that asset, that money will be around in the future. And they have certain expectations about return, but they definitely expect it to be around in the future. And one of the reasons they expect it to be around is because people have a use for it. So 
on the one hand, you could say, well, a thing that is purely a store of value, like gold, use some argument that is used for jewelry and, and electronics, but uh, that is mostly a store of value, that'll be the best store of value. It'll have, it'll have characteristics perfectly attuned to that use case. But the flip side is you could say, well, the, you know, the thing that is the most useful, some people will buy oil just to store value because they know that every automobile and, and many manufacturing facilities need oil. So they know that they can reliably count on that or you know, similar with real estate. So I think that it's right for us to be trying to peel back the shroud uh, in thinking about these things, but I'm not sure that it's clear cut. I think that the best analogy today is um, to think about it a little bit like you think about oil, actually. Crude oil was not valuable before 1910. That's not that long ago. It became valuable because an application was created, which sure. is the, the mainstream automobile. And if you wanted to use the automobile, which conferred certain benefits, you needed crude oil. Public blockchains generally are a structure where somebody creates an application. It could be a transfer of ownership application. It could be a program compute application. It could be <clears throat> something more purpose-driven. And then to use that application, which is open source, mm -hmm. you have to use this finite commodity, uh, like the relationship that oil has with, with the car. And so that, that's the, the mental model that I think uh, makes the most sense to me. And, and um, I think that the, the application right. is in many ways sort of the, the technology and then the commodity, which you could view as money or a store of value, uh, is conferred that because this application delivers some benefit that's really compelling. And so I, I think they're kind of intrinsically tied. A really, really articulate answer. I, I like the analogy of crude oil. Thanks. So, so Hunter, one question too, we usually ask our guests, and, yeah. and you don't have to answer it if, if you're not allowed to, but sure. what are some of the crypto projects you're most excited about? I mean, they don't have to be public projects. They could be yeah, yeah, totally. startups or... I'll tell you, uh, the one I was playing around with yesterday was, uh, uh, was Vail. Uh, me and, and a few of the, the engineers at Bitwise, we, we sat around the table and, and um, set up VPNs. Mm -hmm. which, of course, which yeah. is You're which is banned in the U.S. Yeah, that that's a, an unfortunate detail. Yeah. And uh, transferred some ETH to our MetaMask wallets, and then transferred it into the the Veil wallet. And and uh, what did I bet on? There's three different predictions. I think there were, there were ten live predictions at the time. I think they just added two more. I bet on a winner for the Academy Awards. The I was going to say the Academy yeah, Awards. The Academy Awards. They have everything from the Academy Awards to the price of Grin too. Yeah, yeah. I think I, I took a view on the price of Augur, and I uh, took a view on whether uh, uh, there would be a Grin U.S. dollar pair by March. Mm -hmm. uh, I think reported somewhere. I, I was uh, pretty excited about the the prospect that Vale is uh, working on, and and um, I think in general, Vale is a good example of what is exciting about the space today, which is people are are tinkering with you know what are all the ways we can put to work what is newly possible. One thing I was just chatting with with someone last night from a traditional private equity firm, and one point that I think is is uh, relevant for people sort of from the outside looking in to, to remember is many venture firms will invest in 20 mobile app ideas, uh, and one or two of them will work out. And that doesn't mean that those concepts weren't worth trying. And uh, there's probably a million websites at different domain addresses on the internet today. And most of the traffic goes to 10. You know, Facebook, YouTube, Google, Amazon, uh, a few others. That doesn't mean that uh, these other websites weren't worth trying. It also doesn't mean that just because there's a million websites that they're all created equal. And so I think that the the incredibly exciting thing about crypto is that there, there's something that's newly possible. You can transfer ownership without a broker. And uh, and people are now experimenting with, oh, well, what, you know, what are all of the goods, services, or marketplaces where if you get rid of the broker, you can confer some benefit. You can, you know, offer uh, a product you couldn't have before, like like in the case of Avail betting on the Academy Awards. Or um, instead of, you know, the, the, the bank stops taking wires at, at 4 p.m., 
you can take wires after 4 p.m. Uh, or you can settle them in 10 minutes. Or, or um, So people are experimenting with, with all this stuff now. And I think that that is so amazing. Yeah, it's going to be really interesting. I mean, I think one idea around crypto is that it can be deflationary in the mm. sense that if you have an ecosystem and a broker is taking some cut, yeah. you know, crypto can eliminate that broker, that middleman, but yeah. at the same time, reduce the cost for everyone involved. Yeah. So the, the whole dollars you know, flowing through the marketplace may be smaller initially in deflationary, but ho- hopefully ultimately grow as there's more yeah. people attracted to that market. I think, I think another lens on public blockchains is that they're business model innovation. Yes. The organizational structure we use to create many of the valuable businesses and services uh, in the world today, in the 21st century, and you know, and obviously for the last long, long period of time, uh, is corporations. A challenge with corporations is that they have a perpetual uh, mandate to grow, and sometimes that is a compliment to what their client or customer wants, and sometimes it starts to become antagonistic, uh, and sometimes it causes a corporation to move into a business or market that they never intended to be in. Uh, maybe they don't even have a clear advantage, but they have this mandate to grow and they have a mandate to increase staff. And sometimes they increase staff beyond what they needed. And the, the late stages of life for a corporation can get pretty ugly. When a company goes from growth to harvesting profits um, and, and it has a, a large you know, large staff, large operating expenses, oftentimes what you have is you'll have these, these LBOs where, where a private equity firm will come in and they'll do layoffs, they'll cut expenses down, and they sort of have to force this corporation into accepting uh, that the growth status, the, the mindset they had is no longer producing right. the appropriate outcome. Um, but that's, a, that's a sort of an ugly period for this, this entity of a corporation. And I think one way of viewing a blockchain, and this is, you know, again, we're all up close to the elephant, but one way of viewing a public blockchain is you can deliver an application with a different incentive structure. So instead of, you know, us building a really compelling reviews site and then monetizing it by showing ads and then limiting the number of reviews you can read and then charging you to post a review, you know, thinking about all the ways that we can sort of get on the frontier of as much as we can extract without the client just saying, I will not buy this plane ticket, uh, so to speak. Uh, with the public blockchain model, theoretically, uh, a developer says, oh, this review site should exist. What I'm going to do is uh, require that you use this crypto asset, like a crude oil, uh, to interact with it. I'm going to build the best effing review site ever because then everyone's going to want my oil. Uh, and then I'll, you know, maybe I'll, I'll, I'll sell all the oil at once. Maybe I'll, I'll sell it a little bit over time. And, uh, you know, the value of that oil increases as, as the, the review site, uh, uh, improves. And then, and then, you know, and then over time, you know, maybe you move on or maybe, maybe, uh, the steward of the review site becomes the people who are using it, uh, instead of the people who first created it. And so I, I think that there's interesting opportunity in sort of the business model or, uh, how, a blockchain's economic model could facilitate the organization and creation of products. The key takeaways from today's episode are, one, the size of the institutional investor base is orders of magnitude larger than the retail investor base, and institutional investors have yet to come into crypto. Two, Bitwise is the first cryptocurrency fund and filed an application to launch the first Bitcoin ETF. Three, With Bitwise, investors can rest assured that their assets have proper custody, reporting, and oversight. And four, if interested in investing with Bitwise, check out their website at www.bitwiseinvestments.com. Thank you for listening to the show. We're trying to make the crypto ecosystem more mainstream and welcoming. So if you enjoyed this podcast, please leave a five-star review in iTunes and share this with one person you know who is trying to learn more about crypto technology. 
You can reach me on Twitter at Zachary DeWitt or email me at Zach at wing.vc. Thank you.